Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green and your host. We are all in for a treat because in celebration of the book that Colleen and I wrote, which if you're on YouTube, you can see called The Joy of Well-Being, A Practical Guide to a Happy, Healthy, and Long Life, which is officially out today in the world at every bookseller uh, and on Amazon, of course. You can find out more at thejoyofwellbeing.com. But in celebration of the book, we are having our dear friend, the incredibly credentialed, talented, and lovely human, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, interview us as guest hosts. We haven't done this before, and we're just so excited to have Sarah on the show with us and, you know, turn it around and ask us questions. So th- this is going to be a fun one. Uh, Sarah, so good to see you. and. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, my absolute pleasure. I love this book. I just want to shout it from the rooftops because this is groundbreaking and I'm so excited that we get to get into the details. And so I feel like our listeners, our viewers already know about your bios, but I wonder what's when weird or quirky or, or you know, a something something that maybe they don't know about the two of you. So I, I, the big one for me is in the, the last chapter of the book, and it has to do with our fertility struggles. And this is something we haven't shared publicly, and that's the role I played in this. And we think it's important because 40% of fertility issues are us guys, the men, and, and, and not, not, not the women. And that was the case in our life. And this was like a really humbling, terrifying uh, drop down on your knees, you know, praying, praying to God uh, or praying to whatever uh, you believe in moment for us. And, you know, in our fertility struggle, we discovered that the issue was me. And more specifically, uh, there was no sperm. I had I had no sperm. And they it it could it could be something it could have been something that i was born with where i officially didn't produce sperm at all or it could have been something called you know azuspermia and that there was some obstruction and there were in this process you know i did a whole battery of tests and usually with obstruct like obstruction there's like one place where it's common where you go to a doctor's office you kind of you know he kind of goes in there very far um and and I didn't have that. And that was the most common. So I, I was really concerned that I, this was, I, we weren't going to be able to have a, a biological child. And there was hope of a procedure where they literally, you know, go in and, and, and cut your testicle open to, to search for sperm. And the, the odds actually weren't in our favor because I didn't have the obstruction in like the most common place. And it was just, it was a, it was a really tough experience. It was one that really challenged a lot of our beliefs, you know, one of which is we definitely believe in having a strong connection with the doctor and that being powerful. And I'll never forget. We went in on like a Saturday morning. This was a specialist who flew in from St. Louis every month to do this procedure and we sit down and he's it's 8 a.m he's already like drinking his his diet pepsi i don't even know if it was diet like he's drinking his soda and i'm just like oh god this isn't going to be a fit this is and and he starts saying how 
you know, I really hope this works because adopting is just terrible. And the kids have all these problems. And, and this is like against everything we believe, like kids have all these problems. And, you know, I, you just don't want to go down that path. This is really the only one. And I'm just like, I, I, I'm not liking anything I'm hearing. And the fact, you know, drinking soda at 8 a.m. in front of me is not something to that we necessarily believe in. So I'm like really struggling, like connecting to this guy, let alone in like a minute, he's going to like cut me open. Um, and, but he was, the, this was it. Like this was the person who did the procedure. And so we went with it and sure enough, you know, it was successful in a gold rush and 12 vials of sperm later, but there were also a, lot, a number of miscarriages that Colleen suffered through. But th that was one thing that no one, I haven't really shared at all, but was important due to the fact that there is a fertility crisis and 40% of men are the problem. And it's something that, that, you know, was important to us. Well, thank you so much for sharing this vulnerability. You know, I really feel like I'm learning how vulnerability is everything. It's just, it's the key to transformation. It's the key to connection. I imagine that it brought the two of you closer together. And it's, uh, and it's also, I mean, you've had many brushes with the medical system. We're going to talk a bit about that and how it led to writing this book over the last 14 years. And I can just visualize that doctor flying in from St. Louis with the Diet Pepsi or the Pepsi, because I think half of my colleagues in conventional medicine drink soda. Drink soda. Like, how is that possible? And we explored everything. I remember going to holistic healers and acupuncturists, intuitives, and, you know, I got some, you know, it's all the castor oil, just castor oil down there and, and you're good. And, and we tried everything. Lots of castor oil. Lots, lots of castor oil. I'm like, don't, I don't even want to see it again. Uh, <laughs> and this was an instance where, you know, Western prevailed. Like, and to this date, there's no good medical answer. And I remember going back years later after successfully having two biological children and going to another doctor and saying, like, doing the test again to see if, you know, sperm was coming out. And and, and the answer was no. Because, like, to me, part of me is like, I want to know what's going on here. Was it the parasite? Was it something? I like, I like connecting the dots. And the doctor was like, why do you care? Get over it. Like, you have two kids. You know what? I was like, he's right. Sometimes you just have to put things in the, I don't know. And that's okay. Is that your learning? Because I feel like when we have an experience like this, and I'll just back up just so we can generalize. So with infertility, you know, the old teaching, this is what I learned 30 years ago, is that 40% of the time with infertility, it's the woman, 40% of the time, it's the man, 20% of the time, you don't know, or it's both. So I always think of these symptoms and conditions, like azoospermia in your situation, as divine messages of some sort of teaching. And I'm curious what your teaching was. Maybe it was the, I don't know. I think that's it, because I'm still very much about connecting the dots. And a big part of me and my core belief is it's all connected. And that there's always a mess, you know, whether it's a deeper spiritual message or there's something gut related or brain or psychosomatic, there, there's always kind of something. And I also have had other experiences where sometimes there just is no good answer and you kind of have to, to let go. 
and that is sometimes hard for me. I tend to go like, let's do the testing. I do all the vials of blood. I just did my Genova stool test, which I know I've heard you talk about. And, and, and sometimes there's just, I think we learned a ton about the resilience of the human spirit through this whole ordeal and what we were able to endure as a couple and as individuals, because it is one of those moments that can break you or can, can bring you closer together. And, And luckily it, it brought us closer together. Yeah. Well, resilience is such a through line in your new book. And before we move on to some questions that are specific to your book, Colleen, do you want to add anything in terms of uh, something that people don't know about you? You You have a few big reveals in this book. Unless you're a super early OG, uh, Mind Buddy Green community member, you know, I had a near catastrophic pulmonary embolism in in 2012, which was really the inflection point that, you know, helped me dive full in into this world of well-being. And my why has evolved so much over the decades, over the years of life. But I was a early 30s, working hard in New York City, apply all applicable stereotypes, went to lots of boutique fitness classes, ate, drank, had a lot of fun and looked seemingly healthy on the outside. I think I was really struggling to figure out my purpose. Um, I was working in a role. Uh, I remember, you know, if I told people I worked at Walmart in New York City at that era, I would get cringe, distorted faces. How do you do that? Um, so I had, you know, really conflicted views about, you know, what I was doing with my life and the direction of it. But I looked okay, and one day I was leaving uh, Tara Styles Strala Yoga class, 11 a.m. Did it every weekend. And Jason met me in the city in West Village because I was like, I'm having some trouble breathing. And we walked around a little bit and I was like, you know, I, I think I just need to go home. And it was one of those glorious New York City days. We always say we'd, if we were to go back to New York City, maybe we would just live there in the month of May because it's such a great time to be in New York. And we left the subway station and it's, it's a station that has particularly steep stairs. And I collapsed walking up the stairs. And I uh, got out of the subway station and I I did what I think a lot of women and, and some men unfortunately do themselves. I, I gaslit all my symptoms. I was like, I'm dehydrated. I also don't want to go to the NYU ER on a Saturday, but I was like, I'm fine. Called my doctor, was able to talk him out of anything. Um, and then was lethargic and napped the entire rest of the weekend. And I knew something was wrong. There were voices, there were symptoms. I was just not listening to them. And Jason said, if you go into work on Monday, the only way I will let you go is if you stop by your doctor on the way there. So took the train to Soho where my doctor was. And you know, within a few minutes, he's like, you're having a pulmonary embolism. We need to get you to the NWER. And I'm like, I don't know what a pulmonary embolism is. <laughs> I was so bewildered. He gave me this little sign that said, I'm having a pulmonary embolism. It was unclear to me if he was concerned about me being able to get to the NYU ER or if he was concerned I would waste valuable time not being able to communicate what was wrong once I got there. But I ended up having showers of clots in my lungs. And it was you know, one of those cosmic kick in the butt moments where you're like, oh, wow. This life is not aligning with my values, with my body, and is not going to be sustainable. And, you know, my biggest kind of learning and wish from all this is that I had listened to those little whispers and that I didn't have to wait for this huge 
um, assault from the universe to change my life. And that was a start of a really long healing process. I, I did write an article on Mind Body Green that went viral. And, you know, a lot of women reached out about, you know, their sisters, their mothers, their daughters who had had serious events on birth control as well, many of them being catastrophic. So I had heard about the side effects, but I think dismissed them because I wasn't a smoker, because I wasn't overweight. I didn't actually have a lot of the predisposition markers for clotting. So it was it was somewhat of an interesting case, but it did start me on this journey of looking at everything from Western, all the tests someone's going to do when a 32-year-old has a pulmonary embolism to really exploring parts that were less familiar to me, the holistic side, healers. And I saw the good, I saw the bad, I saw it all on this journey. <laughs> and, you know, the joy of well-being is really the roadmap I wish I had back then when I was trying to live a life that better aligned with my values, that brought me more joy, um, and just a faster kind of way of really focusing on the fundamentals, because that is going to have the most impact on your health and well-being. So profound. You know, I, as a physician, pulmonary embolus is the most feared diagnosis that we face. And it's the thing that, that kills young men and women. Uh, it sounds like you were on the birth control pill. Is that right? I was. 10 years. 10 years. So yeah, separately, we can talk about the birth control pill and how that's like the greatest endocrinopathy of uh, American women. But I don't want to get sidetracked or on my soapbox. I look forward to that conversation with you. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so this misalignment really came into uh, sharp relief for you. And I feel like what we're doing now is we're reverse engineering the question that you begin the book with, which is, I want to make sure I get it right. How do you know when it's time to change your life? So you ask that question in the introduction. And some could see it as a rhetorical question, but you guys, you actually mean it. So tell us, what, what, is, it, what is it that you hope your readers, your viewers, your listeners, what do you want them to do with that question? You know, I think it's a couple of things. One is don't wait for that kick in the butt, almost catastrophic event or that time you walk in to see your physician and they say, we've got a serious problem. Don't, don't wait for that is one. And the other is you don't necessarily need to do a life overhaul where you quit your job and move to Bali tomorrow. That's just not realistic. I just, I just made reservations to go to Bali. I love Bali. <laughs> I don't have to go to Bali. I could do it here in Northern California. Well, yeah, Mike, look, if you love Bali, knock go yourself Bali. <laughs> go to Bali, knock yourself out. But I, I think there are in our world often lofty expectations that that go along with with living this way. And on on one side of it, and then and that could mean various things. Whether that means going to, to Bali or you know going all in on some of the holistic treatments and the jade eggs and the toys and what we like to refer as you know but the frosting, so to speak. Like we still think it's important. Our friend Mutual JJ Virgin said to us, "It sounds like you know you got to bake the cake like before <laughs> you put on the frosting." And there seems to be like a lot of frosting out there. And then on you know the biohacking side, it's 
you know, the protocols and the, and, and these intense, uh, you know, workouts and they're often, often a recipe to, we say, if I were to do all these protocols, like this is a recipe to divorce. Like if I'm going to wake up and get my, then I do my hot cold and then I do, you know, my H, my, my, my VO2 max and measuring the labs. Like, wow, like this is great. We'll get divorced. Uh, my kids will kill, kill me. And so, you know, for us, it's like, we don't, you don't necessarily to need to go that far. And it's like getting back to your question, it's just really important to like, ask yourself some basic questions, like with intentionality, like that's a big word for Colleen and I, like your intentions in life, like what's, what's your why, you know, we tend to think of the conversation around longevity in a couple ways. One, like the 1.0 was, I want to live a very long life to hundred. Then that, that segue to the 2.0 health span. Well, I want to live to hundred, but I want to be healthy, mobile, and active for 99 years, 11 months, and, you know, 30 days before I rapidly decline over 24 hours. And then we like joy span. You know, this idea of like, what's your why? Like, you got to have some fun. Like, what's the point of living to 100 if, you know, you're not hanging out with your friends and being joyful and, and like getting to the why of your wellness? Like, what is it do you really want that doesn't require a complete, maybe sometimes it does require a complete 180, but like, what are the things you want to want to be doing? Yeah. And, and how do you, if you're not having one of these edge case scenarios that I had or Jason had in, in his life, which I hope people don't, how do you get to a place of looking really critically and really intentionally and thinking about the type of life that you want to cultivate and not the one that you may see out there, but the one that will really bring you joy? And, you know, when you ask someone what, what brings you joy, for a lot of people, that can be a hard question. But the type of well lived life that we imagine does involve lots of experiences of joy and, and hopefully a lot of happiness and health along the way. So like, don't, don't wait for that, that moment. Start to ask your questions like, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What, what, what type of life do you want to live in 20, 30, 50 years from now? What does that look like? How active do you want to be? You know, for, for, for me specifically, I'm 48. My father died of heart disease at 47. My two grandfathers died at age 44 from cancer. The other one, 49 heart disease. Men in my family have a terrible track record with longevity, but like, I believe that stops with me. I believe in epigenetics. I believe we have the power to turn on and off genes. And yes, I'm very fortunate to work with great doctors and do all sorts of testing. I'm good, I'm not, I'm not worried. But my why is I wanna be around, I've got young kids and I wanna be active. I wanna be able to, you know, if our daughters are six and, and almost four, if the idea of grandchildren, if they choose to have children is amazing. And by the time they have them, I'm going to be, you know, up there and I want to be able to pick up a 30 pounder. So like it segues to my why with like resistance training and leg strength, because that's something that, you know, starts to rapidly decline as we age. And so I, I, we just want everyone to start like really asking the questions like, why are you doing all this wellness? What's your why? What is the point of all these smoothies? What's the point of all these smoothies? I love it. On uh, on page seven, you talk about the spectrum. You talk about the Kardashian-level wellness filled with lymphatic drainage treatments, expensive vegan meal delivery, workouts for perkier posterior. We're going to circle back to that in a moment. And then at the other extreme is 
the folks who are measuring their lactate after workouts and calculating their VO2 max, and they're wearing a continuous glucose monitor. These people offer great scientific insight, but at the same time, they're bringing a technical intensity and rigidity to exercise and eating that sucks the fun right out of it. I read that and I was like, I'm taking off this CGM. And we do love, we do love CGMs. We think they're extraordinarily informative, and there's so much to, to so much information. But maybe not wear one forever. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I think the passage that you're getting at is that we have a really complicated relationship with the word wellness as it's currently reflected in society, and we, and we look at you know this vast ecosystem of social media and the way we see normal people interacting with wellness, and it doesn't resonate with us at all personally. And I think we've gotten so off track with the frosting and we're not spending enough time on the fundamentals that actually are accessible. It's actually the stuff we can all agree on and you know, done in the right way, hopefully, hopefully brings you joy. Um, and as a mother of two and, you know, running a company, I look at wellness out there and I'm like, I can't do that. Yes. And this is my job. Yeah. So and how like, do we reset and reawaken what the word means so that it's actually something that people can integrate into their lives and not something else they have to do? And for two people, this is our work on our life. And, and we're so passionate about this, but we struggled with a lot of this. And so how does someone who's got you know, a demanding job or, you know, a partner and kids, and it's just overwhelming and impossible and felt like, you know, in one regard that the advancement in this conversation is just remarkable. Like I, I go back to like, Oh nine, when we, when we launched and today, like remarkable how far we've come in this conversation and like the, the science and, you know, your work and all like, there are just so many people advancing this, but, what's it's a double-edged sword because so so much of it points to these modalities practices and protocols were just there's just so inaccessible but you know to us it was just so clear there's so much pointing to practices that don't require a lot of time or money and that's always the objection with health and wellness i don't have the time i don't have the resources and we said you know what there's actually so much here where we can we feel comfortable with saying, no, you can do it and we can get you 80% there. And if you want to dial it up, get the extra 20%, you're going to have to invest more time and resources. But we feel really good about this. And and that's exciting and important. And given the state of media right now, where there's so much information, but there's also so much contradiction and it's difficult to navigate. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I feel like we're going we're gonna to build over the course of this podcast to your mission statement. So I really want to hear your mission statements and you guide the reader uh, towards the end where um, they're creating a mission statement for their life. And I imagine it maps to the why in some important way. So um, my why, by the way, is uh, similar to you, Jason. I want to be at my grandchildren's, maybe great-grandchildren's weddings you know, should my progeny choose to have kids? And I want to be able to twerk because twerking, twerking is really a diagnostic test of the low back. I mean, you could look at it that way, right? Like if you can't twerk, if you're too stiff, like there's, there's some mobility problem that needs to be addressed. And 
I want to have some like chocolate fudge frosting because it's delicious. Yes, you have to bake the cake first, but frosting is delicious. So coming back to this idea of resilience and, you know, this objection of time and money, one of the things that's free is connection. And the two of you have such a profound connection. I want to just ask a simple question, which is, how did you decide to write this book together? I mean, obviously, there's so much, um, there's this palpable synergy between the two of you. But I I just want to get really explicit about how you decided to do this. You know, I I think we've seen a lot in our space and the subject of writing a book together has come up numerous time over the pa- you know the past couple of years and after i wrote my book like i wrote it like 8 years ago cuz it takes a while to come out i was like i'm done i you know not going to do this but you know we, we started to feel like th- the conversation was becoming a, very inaccessible and very overwhelming and we felt that this was the best format to kind of like be the source of truth if you will for all of the conversations out there. And I think something, if if you look at Colleen and I, like what we're good at, like we're not an MD, we're not a PhD, we don't have any credentials. I think at our core is we're we're good curators. We we have, we sniff out BS pretty well. Uh, I think think we're pretty good at understanding if this is a fad or this is a trend, this has legs, this has science, this is fluff. And it has been, I do want to like such a joy to see like, the, the conversation around longevity advanced, but we started to just get a lot of questions anecdotally from people. Well, should I do this and do that? And we started to like scratch our heads. Like this is just overwhelming and it yeah. became overwhelming for us. And, you know, I'm wearing a whoop and an aura ring as I, and we have an eight sleep mattress uh, and we've done levels GCG. We've done it all. And so we just kind of felt like, you know what, we can do this. And we kind of felt like it was incumbent upon us to do it. Like, the, the one thing that people have described my buddy green throughout the years, which, you know, it means a lot to us is like, kind of like the United Nations of, of, of our cat of wellness. Uh, you know, it's like, we're kind of neutral to some degree. We think we're, we try to be balanced. We try to advance the conversation, all different points of view, as long as like, they're not crazy are welcome. Cause we think that's part of the conversation. And we increasingly felt like we lived in a world that was, were that rewarded extreme points yeah. of view that were highly polarized. We can talk more about that and that we're pretty balanced. And, and, the, and we felt like the format to be balanced and like, you know, we share a mutual book agent. Celeste played a big role in also like encouraging us to do the book. So I have to give her credit if I can find is like, we're like sort of incredibly reasonable people. <laughs> and if you're like a very reasonable person, social media is not the place for you to, or the internet, but like a book is a place where being reasonable and balanced, that's where you kind of want to be. Yeah. And we want to reset the conversation on wellness and well-being. Like these practices, practices have literally saved our lives. And the conversation has gotten, unfortunately, extraordinarily off track. So how do we reset the conversation and focus on the things that are going to move the needle? Love it. You know, I'm listening for the tribal language of this book. I've I've got Joyspan, the UN of Wellness, 
And you also write about doc stars. And I was asking you before we hit record, wait, am I a doc star? So can you explain like what's a doc star? I think part of what we're talking about on social media is doc stars. Well, you definitely are a doc star. star in the positive in, in the best way. Yeah. But I, I think in the age of social media, it's valuable to have a very strong personal brand to get your message out, uh, to, to, to sell products, uh, to, to be heard in you know a cacophony of voices. And unfortunately, the way the algorithms work, they avoid, they, they reward extremism. And there's a data point in the book we reference where uh, Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania did a study analyzing the most emailed list of the New York Times. Essentially, these are like the most widely read articles in the world. It's the New York Times. It's like the list you want to be on. And they looked at the articles and characterized them by emotion. And the top three emotions were anxiety, awe, and anger. And anger was number one. Anger increased virality by 34%. And to translate this for, for listeners and our, and our viewers, essentially an article was more likely to be read, shared, or if it's a video, watched, engaged with, commented, if someone en engaged with that piece and was angry. So, and I don't think this is unique to the New York Times. I think this is a cultural phenomenon and probably and more so in social media. So we're, we're in a system where if you want to get your message out, the best way to do so is to incite anger, having an extreme point of view. And that we see it in politics every day, unfortunately, and we see it in our space. And that's just not something we fundamentally believe in. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, there's, there's time and a place for some righteous anger that is related to people getting failed by the medical system. But I don't think that's what we're talking about here with the New York Times. I think we're talking about like, okay, let's pick a food. If I were, if I were to, we've joked, if we were to build a personal brand right now on, on social media, let's pick a point of view. Let's go all in, all or nothing. And <laughs> let's pick a food and let's demonize it. And let's not deviate and maybe pick an enemy. You know, let's go after, you know, spinach, you know, even though I will say it's high in oxalates, so you got to be careful of kidney stones. But like <laughs> spinach is terrible. We're eating too much spinach. We need to go all in on broccoli, the broccoli only diet. And if you talk to me about why broccoli is not good or why spinach is great, I'm going to try to cancel you. And broccoli, and I'm going to, you know, broccoli and nothing else. And, and that's just not balanced and really unfortunate, but that's the way to attract attention. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
So I want to talk a bit about what has changed personally for the two of you over the past 14 years. And I especially want to look at um, maybe the last couple of years as you were writing this book together. What have you maybe found has dropped away in terms of practices or attitudes or the way that you live your life? And what have you really doubled down on or even tripled down on? So I'd love to position that for both of you. So as you know, we moved within the past year from being in Brooklyn for 13 years to the city of Miami. And, and you brought up this idea of connection. And connection for us is, you know, one of our one of our favorite pillars in this book and probably one of the most underrated things that people aren't talking enough about right now in health and wellness. Uh, there's a Cigna study that we quote in the book from 2019 that said only around half of Americans are having meaningful daily face-to-face -face interactions. And since that study was in 2019, it's really scary to think of what that is right now in 2023. Um, we know that um, you know exercise can lower your mortality rate by 20%, having a good diet is more or less the same at 30%, but relationships, having friends and being connected to your community can lower your mortality risk by 45%. Um, so connection is something that we think a lot about, especially with our move to Miami. I think in New York, we were a little bit on autopilot. Um, we didn't really think about, okay, what was our role in terms of being intentional about creating a community of people than, you know, being a really good friend and what does that mean in terms of checking in on people so that you have that group of friends that you can call at, you know, when shit hits the fan and, and you really need support. Um, you know, there is such a loneliness epidemic right now. Um, you know, we found that there's study that loneliness has the same impact um, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So in moving here, we weren't just moving to Miami. We were intentionally creating a community that will be our community for at least the next 15 years while our, our children finish out school, but you know, hopefully longer. And I found that as a human, I've had to totally rewire how I interact with people. Um, I go back to that kind of stage in life where you're aggressively like reaching out to people, doing things that make you uncomfortable, being the first woman to text when you're making friends with another woman, following up on ways that frankly, I was kind of asleep at the wheel on. And now there's so much data around meaningful connection that you know it's something i prioritize in a way that i didn't do for 14 years um we both had a, a really similar transition and i'll start and then probably let you finish it um in terms of two key areas being um exercise modalities and food and being in new york in the 2010s was like a cornucopia of wellness fantasy if there was a yoga class you wanted to take you could do it if there was a boutique fitness class cycling in a pool they had it it was such a fun and exciting thriving time to experiment in wellness and one of the things that um you know one of the key modalities was yoga and pilates was also you know really having a moment and still continues to but the eating habits 
and nutrition trends tend to follow the exercise modality trends. So there was a lot of vegan, vegetarian cuisine of the moment, suen, pure food and wine. And, you know, the statistic that helped me as I envision my future life and my mission statement that really shook my framework, and I, I know you've heard it, um, if you're over 65, there's a 25% chance that you'll fall. And if you do fall, studies show that your chances of falling again double. And if you fall and break your hip, then there's a 30 to 40% chance that you will die within a year, not necessarily from the fall, but from everything else that happens. And I had heard that statistic, and that was my whoa inflection moment. I think I then heard it on so many different podcasts, I became a little immune to it, that when we posted it on Mind Body Green, it was a wildfire of emotions of people, um, a little upset that we had ruined their, their fun Friday morning. But you know that was the study that really changed how I exercised, again, with this longer term vision of protecting and building my body for the type of body that could play with my grandchildren. And, you know, I, I hope to twerk too. That's such a lofty goal. I'll let you speak to the yeah, piece. And I think Colleen and I both had the similar changes with regards to exercise, nutrition, and then community. And just on the, on the nutrition piece, I was in the same place. I tried everything. I leaned, you know, definitely planned forward. Uh, and that's evolved for me in my quest to put on lean muscle mass. I kind of had this like funny aha moment where I didn't weigh myself a lot. And then I got in the scale and I noticed I had lost like, seven or eight pounds. And it, but I like my everything felt the same. So I'm like, what's what's going on here? Everything okay? And then I noticed in the mirror that my ass was flattening. I'm like, oh my God, I'm developing old white man's ass. And okay. This this totally makes sense because I never liked doing resistance training for my legs. So I think the last time I did that was right before my last basketball game 25 years ago. Okay, this makes sense. Maybe I need to like start doing this. Not for, you know, not for, we do live in Miami, you know, not for the the aesthetics, but just like more generally, like I need to focus on on my legs again. And so resistance training became a priority because you know, I, I was yoga saved, saved my life in many regards. And I got all in on yoga and I would do a little resistance training, but never legs. And that became a focus for me. And so it really started from like some, a place where it was yoga all the time and a little resistance training to now a focus on resistance training and then a little yoga. And as you know, it's harder to gain lean muscle mass as you age. It's a lot easier when you're younger and I'm 48. So I'm like, okay, I have like a race against the clock here. And the way to do so is you also need to ingest enough protein to specifically with the right amino acid profile and then specifically leucine in order to promote muscle protein synthesis. And the RDA is just completely inefficient of the point. I, I always like grams. I don't like kilograms. The 0.36 grams per pound of body weight, that that's for people to survive and not thrive. And most people, most experts believe you need probably need to double or triple that if you're serious about putting on lean muscle mass. And so, and more specifically, you have to make sure you get enough leucine because if you don't get the two and a half to three grams, the protein just kind of doesn't count. And I don't think I want to consume protein for the state. Like I want it to count towards building muscle. And so you have to start looking at amino acid profile. And so that, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, you have to probably eat 
some more animal-based foods or protein powders because it's just a lot more difficult to do. It's I'm not saying it's impossible, but a lot more difficult to do in a plant-based diet. So that became a real focus for me as I was serious about building muscles. And a couple of months later, I've regained five pounds of lean muscle mass and I'm trying to get another five more, but that's been a, a big shift for us. And again, it wasn't about the vanity. It's about like, I want to like, go back to this moment of the statistic of, of the fall. And again, I want to reiterate, cause someone's probably going to say, it's not the fall and they're going to try to cancel us. It's everything that goes wrong. It's you know, maybe it is the fall, but it could be the complications from surgery or the infection or the depression after being immobile. Like and anecdotally, we've actually seen this happen to a lot of friends and family members, unfortunately. And so what do you want to happen? One, you want the, the balance and the mobility so you don't fall. Two, you want the mobility and the strength where maybe you're about to fall and you can grab something so you don't fall. Or three, you want the, the armor and the muscle so you break the fall. Or if you are hung up in a hospital bed for weeks, where if anyone has had that unfortunate experience, you be, you lose weight rapidly. You want that muscle to be there. So if you do, you start to lose weight, you've got the muscle, you've got like the good stuff there. And so that's that's the, the why for us that's so critical. So that that's like a big one, that why we want that lean muscle mass. And that's been a huge shift. And then to build off of what Colleen said with community, that's an area, you know, in, within the wellness world, we have such like a tremendous community, but, you know, something I've had to work on is I've lost touch with so many of my friends. And I remember, you know, playing basketball at Columbia, I had like such a great group of friends and everyone hung around New York and, and we went out all the time. We had so much fun, but then, you know, work, kids and guy, I don't think I'm unique here and that guys are not as good as our female counterparts and keeping in touch. And I lost touch with a lot of friends and it's something I'm, I'm working on and I regret. And, you know, in this process, it, in like, and in, in coming, coming out on the other side of the pandemic, I think we've all realized how critical that is. And I think in the context of our world, look, nutrition and exercise are paramount. Like I'm all about diet. <laughs> I am all about exercise, but I think, you can easily ignore emotional well-being. I think you got to ask yourself some harder questions. And sometimes that is the magic of what's going wrong in our health. And in the process of writing the book, I came across like my all-time favorite study, the Rosetto study, which is like the study I need to like tell myself all the time whenever I get a little too crazy about like something I'm trying to do with my diet. And the Rosetto study is essentially Rosetto was a small town in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s. And this is when heart disease enters America, but not in Rosetto. Heart attacks were half the rate uh, of the nation of those under 65 and men under 55, no heart attacks, like non-existent. And so they're like, what's going on in Rosetto? What are these people doing? Well, they're smoking, they're drinking, they're eating, eating lots of pasta and meatballs. Like this makes no sense. And so they dig a little deeper and these people have incredibly strong social connections. Multi-generational living was paramount. They were celebrating parties and parades, enjoying wine and food with family and friends. And then the 1960s happens and the community starts to break up. People move away and guess what? Heart disease arrives. And so for me, the takeaway there is, you know, you just cannot underestimate the magic of IRL social connection that's meaningful. And that's something that just like can't be emphasized enough in our world. And I think it's harder for people 
to go there because sometimes it does put you in an uncomfortable place. It's a lot easier to say like, eat more vegetables, go work out more. But then you have to ask like, okay, maybe I don't have anyone to call in the middle of the night if I'm in a crisis. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe it's me. That's, that's a lot harder. So we know that with your, with aging, there's this distinction that we have like in our 20s as teenagers, maybe even in our 30s and 40s between the thigh and the ass. And then they start to meld together in both men and women and become a thass. So my, my daughters who like to, you know, point out some of the things I need to work on have told me that I have a thass now. And so I'm just curious, Jason, have you, like, is the thass gone? it's it's getting a lot better you know and again like i was a basketball player so like basketball player like strong legs i had like this you know basketball butt and that i don't know if the basketball butt butt is ever fully coming back in you know in in full miami form Uh, high bar a very high bar for for butt uh but but it's starting to like get some muscle again because it was just like whoa god i'm like what happened here my well, your your kids are at an age where they're not going to point this out to you, um, kindly or unkindly. So I want to I want to circle back to this connection point because Helene, you went to Stanford. Jason, you went to Columbia. Like I remember, that's where isolation really started for me. You know, kind of that achievement, the hamster wheel, the you know, get the highest grades, go to the best medical school, like this whole process of isolation without a lot of mindfulness about the social connection that really, in my mind, is kind of the purpose of life. Like, I really believe that love and connection is the purpose. So how do you undo that? How do you speak to, you know, some of the the 20-somethings or the 30-somethings who are out there who are you know, they're on their career ascent and they're like, yeah, 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 connection. That's something I can do on the weekends. Or, you know, as you said, Colleen, that taking that first uncomfortable step and like developing that relationship with someone that you just met and texting for the first time, like taking those steps, how do you really, how do you reach that person? And and I think the Rosetta story is a great one. Anything else you could share that would really get people to do that? Like, starting today well i think that the big objection people have is the the social anxiety about trying to reconnect with someone you know what are they gonna and look we grew i grew up with like the the a telephone where you actually had to physically pick up a phone and someone would have to answer and you and you would hear the voice and it would be like that uncommon that 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 silence for a second and and you'd be miserable and there'd be real anxiety and the upside of technology and, and mobile phones is you can just text someone. And it's as simple as, hey, been thinking about you for X, Y, and Z reason. It's been too long. Just wanted to say hello, you know, miss our com- miss our conversations or X or Y. I would love to reconnect. It's as simple as that. And we got this advice from, from Esther Perel, who I think is one of the best here on, on this subject. And what she said, and what I've found to be true is, you'll get a real sense right away in understanding if this person is open to connecting and you're probably going to be surprised and, and it's probably going to be a positive response. And if it isn't, that's okay. You, you know, but that that's like where, you know, 
I think that's really special. You couldn't do that 20 years ago. And if I was trying to connect with that person who I, I think I know pretty well from my early 20s and early 30s, you know, it's about thinking long term of going into the time machine and thinking of what do you want your life to look like in your 70s and your 80s and your 90s. Maybe you make it all the way to 100 when you're probably not working in your traditional sense. Do you envision yourself having friends over for tea? Do you envision yourself you know, getting together with loved ones, seeing your kids' kids growing up? If you want that type of flourishing life in your 70s, 80s, and 90s, you have to start making the investments now. You have to start thinking intentionally in that way. And I think also just getting back to the, you know, kind of the principal question of the book is, you know, what brings you joy? If you're unaware of where to find your so and your so-called tribe, like that's a good place to start. What do you actually enjoy doing? And I remember a time in my life when I was working so much at work and kind of on an autopilot where I probably couldn't answer that question, which is probably the, you know, one of the first signs that even if things look okay on the outside, that you may have some internal work to do. But when you get closer to the things that make your heart sing, to the activities you enjoy, whatever they may be, you're probably going to get closer to finding like-minded groups of people who can love and support you on life's journey through the ups and downs. Beautiful. So beautiful. I was just getting a hit about, um, because I was a very similar person, Colleen, in my 20s and 30s. And I was just getting a hit about, like, when you are connected with other people, and you're sharing your lung biome with them, like there's a way that it, it creates health, it changes your genetics. We know this from social genomics. It, it creates this, this upward benevolent cycle that is hard to measure, but it, as you said, with the statistics you gave about what you eat and the exercise that you do and then the connections, what we know is that it is the most effective lever. And even if that's your reason for connecting with other people, like, fine, like, fabulous. Yeah. So we're about to, we're going to get to the mission statements, as I suggested earlier. But I, but first, I want to go back to a really important distinction you make in the book. And I want to make sure that we do this for our listeners. And that is the, the difference between wellness and well-being. So can you explain that to us? Yeah. So when I think of wellness, I'm thinking of rigidity, perhaps protocols. I'm thinking of a lot of the frosting on the, on the cake. I'm thinking of a focus on the self. And when I think of well-being, the biggest differentiator is this belief in something bigger. And that something bigger can be so broadly defined. If it's religion for you, fantastic. If it's spirituality, if it's nature, if it's caring for others, um, whatever it may be, but it's part of the toolkit that helps you live this well-lived life. I think it's coming from this place of service too. I think to some degree, like, look, we're all self-serving and you got to feel good about yourself before you have the ability to help someone else. But I, I think it really gets to the why and, and the why and purpose all, also has a great benefit for you if you're listening. Like there are countless studies and the benefits of, of serving others and being grateful and volunteering and so on. But 
while being you know this idea of service and purpose having being here and having goals and intentions that are much bigger than yourself it's not only good for you and your health for for those who you know tell me why this is good for me but also good for your family and community and the planet and and that's i think we want to get the conversation back there to you know deeper meaning and connection with other people and the, and the the planet we inhabit beautiful i love it so on page 219 in the chapter on purpose meaning and service you invite the reader to create a mission statement and so i'm hoping that the two of you could share your mission statement one of our most important influences in that chapter is Lisa Miller, PhD, who's also a Miami resident. And when are you moving, Sarah? <laughs> I, I'm wondering myself. I'm like, well, I need to go see what's happening with this mass situation. So I might as well move like, to Miami. Know, people are like, you know what? We need a great integrative doctor we here. Get that and, a lot and, here. And we get that question a lot. I think we have someone. And, you know, so, um, but. I, we have both uh, been fascinated by her research that shows that when mother and child are both high in spirituality, the child is 80% protected against oppression compared when they are not concordant for spirituality. So in other words, a child was five times less likely to be depressed when spiritual life was shared with a mother. And I, I give that preview because, you know, my why, which is my why of Mind Body Green has has changed so much over the decades from someone who was, you know, trying to solve their own edge case to now as a mother of two young girls. And I think I think it's hard to be a human. I think it's hard to be a boy, but I think it's extraordinarily challenging to be a girl right now. So, you know, my my mission right now is to raise well-adjusted girls to create joyful experiences into my life and to build a strong body and mind. Yeah, I, I definitely share that that mission and passion because I, I do think that the mental health crisis is real. And unfortunately, I think we're in the early innings of that. Um, and I also think more broadly, you know, it's always been our goal and somewhat of our personal mission to kind of be the UN of mm-hmm. wellness, to be that voice of reason, to be the place where different opinions are welcome. Uh, that seems almost like like a contrarian view uh, in our world where, where you have multiple voices and multiple opinions, and it's a safe place where you may disagree, but you, you will find all the different views on on diet and nutrition uh and all the other you know fun fun sub- subjects ripe for uh contention in our world you know we want to be that place of reason that that safe place where people can go where maybe they get a little bit of clarity because it is so confusing and look i think we're we as a society specifically here in america aren't doing so well and, and you know <laughs> obesity diabetes every you know comorbidity you know we're not really doing much better here and we see a a widening uh and we do feel with this book that we have the opportunity where there's so much great information that it's just not being shared in a way and i get why someone looking in says i don't have the time i have the resources because i look at the protocols and the gadgets and all the things and i'm overwhelmed and it is our mission to democratize some of this and democratization doesn't mean we're dumbing it down you know, I get people's objections because we have the same objections and it's our mission to really help deliver. And I think, you know, give people the tools and information so that they're informed 
to become their own CEO in our words, they, they could make the best decisions for them um, because it, it is hard out there and it is confusing and we do have empathy. So, you know, that, that's, that's our, that's our, our why as well. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I love, I love what you two have curated. I love what you've written in this book. And I just want to remind our listeners to go to Amazon or wherever you get a book, pick this up. The Joy of Well-Being, A Practical Guide to a Happy, Healthy, Long Life. I want to finish with some final words. And I wonder if there's anything that we haven't covered today that is in the book that you really want to express here on your own podcast. So is there anything that we haven't covered that you you really want to make sure is part of this recording? I think we got we got a lot. I think we're going to have to do this again. You're really good, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are easy. You guys are easy and fun. You know, I think I think the hardest part of this journey is is taking the steps to listen to your own body so that you do have the confidence to become the CEO of your health because there is so much information. That's that's not the challenge right now, but it's understanding what your body needs. And as we go through the decades of life, especially true for women, it's going to change at each point in the juncture. Yeah. I, I think that the one thing, you know, if you're going to be rigid, be rigid about being flexible because yeah. this is a journey and, and you change by decade and information is always changing. And, and I, you know, we see it all the time where people become so married to a certain point of view or a certain modality that they're not able to kind of get out of their own way when that doesn't maybe serve them anymore. So well put. Well, I think we are towards the end of our session and I feel like Jason, you're the one who usually closes us out. So maybe we could riff together and do a little closure. What do you think? I think so. We're, we're, you're a pro. We're definitely <laughs> going to do again what are you doing tomorrow i have to do an interview like sorry surprise here's sarah i'm available i'm available thank you so much um for this conversation it's it's really meaningful to be able to have it with you and we're so grateful for all the great work that you do in the world and and for being with us on this journey for so long well thank you for writing this book this book is such an important contribution to changing conversations. You know, I, I still believe, as you described, you know, kind of social media versus books, I believe that books have the potential to change our culture for the better. And this is a book that does that. It is a game changer. It is profound. It is a beautiful book. It is a very uh, clean mirror of the way that the two of you live your lives. And I'm just so grateful to be connected to the two of you. And I'm also wondering if you have a guest suite at your place in Miami. Always, <laughs> always, always. always. Yes, you, you are always welcome for you. You are very kind. Uh, we're very proud of the book. I've said to Colleen numerous times, you know, it's good. Because sometimes you do content and pieces and you come back to it and you say, you know what, you know, maybe we should have changed this or I don't feel good about it. Every time I come back to this book and I would tell you otherwise, like, I think it's good. I think it's really good. I think this is really going to change a lot of lives. I feel better and better 
as I've had more space from it, because that's not always the case. Uh, so I hope everyone feels the same and, and you can go to the joy of to, to pick up your copy or, or Amazon or your favorite book re- retailer. We are so excited about it. And Sarah, again, thank you so much. Uh, you're an inspiration and uh, it's just a privilege to, to share the, the pod with you. And we're going to do it again. Let's do it. Let's keep raising the oxytocin for our people. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you.